On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Stephen Wilson's The Raven That Refused to Sing and other stories. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friend Paul Zotter as we continue going through the Stephen Wilson solo catalog, this episode covering The Raven That Refused to Sing and Other Stories. Palaver, my friend. What a perfect day to discuss the Raven that refused to sing and other stories. What a perfect day! It is Halloween evening. Um, I have handed out my candy for the evening. I'm not sure if you did the same or if you had other things to do, but I, I definitely handed out candy. Not as much as I was expecting to. So now <laughs> I am loaded up. <laughs> awesome! Just, just what guys <laughs> our age need, right? <laughs> exactly. But we are here to discuss. The third Stephen Wilson solo record, The Raven That Refused to Sing and Other Stories. Now, this was, when we started this, you know, I, I was I was a Blackfield fan, but I had not listened to any Stephen Wilson. And the first Stephen Wilson I got was Hand Cannot Erase, based mm-hmm. on your recommendation, and it didn't really fly for me. And right. then I got To the Bone. And and then we decided to do this, so I went back and I got the first three. And, and obviously, last episode, we discussed um, the first two records. But when I bought this one, it was one of those things where I, I put it in once, and that was all I needed. I, I, I found myself continually distracted from preparing for the first two records by wanting to listen to this record. <laughs> And at some point, I believe it was on my uh, my three-week-long sojourn in Europe when I was being distracted by this record, I, I texted you and, and the group at large, but you specifically, and I said, is the, the obvious, you know, per, like all-star progressive influence that's in this record on purpose? Or is it, you know, was it just sort of a, a happy accident? And really, you know, in, in text speak, without batting an eyelash, you came back and said, oh, yeah, I definitely think it's on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you, when you think about all of the folks that Stephen Wilson had been working with and who, he, you know, working with on this record, I mean, it's certainly he's embracing the progressive rock world. And... I think you suggested that we might be playing some sort of game tonight, um, and and I think that not not quite knowing what the game is or what the rules are, I have a <laughs> feeling that it's playing right into this idea that uh, he's kind of picking and choosing his his points here from the progressive rock spectrum and inserting them into into the record, and you know certainly by uh, recruiting Alan Parsons to um, work on it with him. I mean, come on. I mean, 
Yeah. What else do you need? It, it, it's 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 amazing. And and perhaps maybe we should we should go through the official particulars. Sure. Um, and to sort of set the stage. So we are we are uh, considering the Raven that refused to sing. It was released in February of 2013. So this is a relatively you know new progressive uh, rock album for us. That's very exciting. Released on the label K Scope, it features. Stephen Wilson on lead vocals, Mellotron, keyboards, guitars, and bass on, I believe, The Holy Drinker. Our uh, friend of Palaver, uh, in the sense that we really like him, Guthrie Govan, is on lead guitar. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Nick Beggs uh, on bass guitar and Chapman Stick on The Holy Diver, as well as backing vocals. Adam Holtzman handles keyboards, Hammond organ, piano, and mini moog. And I believe he might have backing vocals too. Marco Miniman handles drums and percussion. And Theo Travis plays flute, saxophone, and clarinet. Now, the wikis also credit, and I apologize if I hack up this name, Jacko Jexix or Yako Yexic, whatever, um, mm -hmm. as additional vocals on Luminol and The Watchmaker. And, mm. you know, just saying additional vocals, and, and hopefully we'll we'll remember to get to this when we get there, but I think these additional vocals really add something to those two songs. Absolutely phenomenal. So I apologize if I'm terribly mispronouncing this gentleman's name, but he's awesome. Yeah. Um, Alan Parsons is credited with Wawa Guitar on The Holy Diver. Or holy drinker, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got I got I got the Dio joke from the from the text in my brain. <laughs> and uh, and Dave Stewart is credited with string arrangements, but it is not that Dave Stewart. Hmm. Um, I looked into I looked into this earlier today and to be certain and you know, if the wikis are to be believed, this is a different Dave Stewart than he who was famous from the Eurythmics. That is true. And if the wikis are to believe, this Dave Stewart is actually contributing to the size of Bill Bruford's blue ball. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he is. And um, the, the wikis credit, credit um, Nico Sonev as guitar solos on The Watchmaker and additional guitars on Luminol, but only on the demo versions, which mm. is not on the particular disc that I have. So I'm not prepared Same here. to speak to that. But that's what's there. The track listing, we only have six tracks. But oh boy, are they six tracks. We have Luminol, mm. Drive Home, The Holy Drinker, The Pin Drop, The Watchmaker, and finally, The Raven That Refused to Sing. The Raven That Refused to Sing and Other Stories is the third solo album by British musician Stephen Wilson released by K-Scope Music Records on 25 February 2013. Each track on the album is based on a story of the supernatural. Alan Parsons, who had previously been involved in the creation of Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon, was responsible for engineering the album. A deluxe four-disc edition of the album was released as well, which included a 128-page book of lyrics and ghost stories with illustrations by um, Hajo Mueller. In addition to this, the album is also available in standalone double vinyl, CD, and Blu-ray editions. The album was generally well-received critically and has sold over 100,000 copies. It's almost like he sat down and said, I'm going to make the most prog of prog rock albums I possibly can. And in order to do that, I'm going to pay homage to 
you know, some of these, these shrines of, of the genre is, is how I've interpreted it. And if we look at it in the context of how I sort of looked at the first two albums, so again, Stephen Wilson started this solo portion of his career pretty late in the game, and yet at the same time, he still seemed to go through this this period where he was trying to, to find his feet and understand what he's doing and everything else. And I think this... This album is sort of like he has the tools in his toolbox and now he knows how to use them and he knows what he wants to do. And, you know, he went out and, and, and did it. This was like, you know, this, this was the, the manifestation of Stephen Wilson's solo artist, I think. And another part of it that sort of hit me fairly recently is the, this idea and we had sort of touched on this a little bit, I think, at the end of the last episode, Paul. This particular album was recorded basically with a core band that was his touring band from the previous album. The more time I spent with this and the more times I listened to it and everything else, that really sort of stuck with me. This this does have a band feel about it. There's, there's a certain consistency and, you know, what a band to have, I think... I think with regards to this this music, these guys were on fire. Boy, you said it. And and so as as I recall from the end of our last episode, the majority of this band was in place during the tour prior to this. And I did read along the way here that Luminal was something that they were actually performing. They they basically were writing it on the tour and they were performing it at, at the part the the last end of the Grace for Drowning tour. And then they kind of brought it into the studio, and I think they had to teach Guthrie Govan the song. Um, I, don't, I don't think he was playing with them at the time. And um, but they they kind of refined it in the studio, and then and then recorded it. And and particularly on that song, I, I, the only thing I would want to compare it to is kind of you know what we've always talked about when we've discussed drama that that you know the bass the drums and the guitar were like just so tight so yeah. incredible and and that's kind of the feel that i get listening to luminal and while this song this this album overall doesn't you know isn't filled with like aggressive songs and massive you know rhythmic driven i mean there's certainly parts that are rhythmically driven but it's you don't get you don't get a whole bunch of luminals. It's it's pretty much all in that one song. Yeah. But the band still is tight and playing off of each other and dynamic. And it's, it is spectacular. The, the uh, musicians that he has. And I, I, I think I agree with you about the purposeful of, I mean, I think it just, Stephen Wilson wanted to tell stories on this album and he wanted to tell them in the, in the vein, like you would in the progressive rock. And he, you know, it's not like he's got a bunch of young, young strappers playing in his band, right? These are seasoned, incredible musicians. And if you, you know, like Marco Miniman and Guthrie Govin are in a band called the Aristocrats. And if you ever listen to any of that music, I mean, it is pretty technically phenomenal. And so, you know, and the guys around them are no slouches either. So, it, you know, the band feel and the storytelling through the music 
is definitely lends itself to this sort of progressive theme. I find this album to be one of the shortest 54 minutes that I can experience. And it's, it's almost like going on some sort of a, a thrill ride. It, and, and you had mentioned this at the end of the last episode as well, Paul. I mean, this album and Luminol just comes right out of the gate and, and just gets right up in your face and says, hey, <laughs> time to kick some ass. So it's funny. So I saw the Hand Cannot Erase tour and I bought the Hand Cannot Erase CD at the show because you couldn't buy it. You couldn't stream it at that point in time. And... And I, I was just so blown away by the performance of the songs that I was like, oh, I, I, I want to listen to this like on the way home. Like I need to take this with me now. So I had it for a couple of weeks listening to it, and I just really liked it. And so I ordered, and of course you couldn't buy any of the other Stephen Wilson albums or stream them or anything like that. You had to buy them on Amazon, which I don't often do. So I was like, okay, I got to buy one of these uh, on uh, on Amazon. And I remember from the show him performing The Raven That Refused to Sing. It was him just sitting on his stool and the band playing. And uh, I don't remember if they had a video playing or not. They may have. It was memorable. And I thought, well, I'm going to buy that, that CD. So I bought it and it arrived. And I didn't get to play it until I was leaving to drive to vacation to my mother's, which is like an eight and a half hour drive. So I'm pulling out of the driveway at, you know, at like, yeah, it was it was two in the afternoon or something like that, and I pop in the CD and it starts like that, and I was just like, "Damn, this is going to be a good drive." <laughs> How many times did you listen to the Raven on that eight-hour drive? I just kept, I just kept going. I would listen to the Raven, then I'd listen to Hand Cannot Erase, and then I listen to Raven, and then Hand Cannot Erase, nice. and then my kids would wake up and they'd be, you know, I have to listen to some, some silly silliness, That's and then I get back to it. So yeah, yeah, and and so as you know, as I've experienced this album, like I said, it it, it I, I just put it on, and it, in a lot of ways, it 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 just flows from one to the other, and all the different movements in the songs, and and all the uh, all the different sort of textures that they have, and I just I feel like I, I get on some sort of a ride, and I just go, and then mm. you know fifty. 54 minutes later, it ends. And I'm like, oh, that was great. Let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, that's definitely, it takes you places. And that's, and, and that is the beauty of it is he's telling all of these stories. And even for, you know, even if you don't know what the stories are, you definitely are taken someplace musically, if not lyrically. Um, I, I, I will say that I, I think this is, this is part of what, you know, this, this the nature of this you know it 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 has the feeling of being very derivative mm -hmm. because of the sound and and the approach that he takes like you know he I, I, like again where he's telling stories in the in the in the art of the progressive uh rock song and so he's pulling influences obviously from like pink floyd from yes i think king, king crimson a lot probably some uh some other places that i'm not even really uh qualified to talk about i think there's still some jazz influence in here yeah. so there's a lot going on that he's pulling in and and while none of it sounds original i think it's wholly original i think the way he's telling these stories is he's doing it in his own way 
I, you know, I think when you listen to these songs, you you definitely think, oh, this is Stephen Wilson. It's not you're not thinking, oh, who's this trying to sound like Rush or who's this trying right. to sound like Yes, right? But I do think that that derivative nature is is part of what I'm getting from Ken's uh, Ken's feedback. Oh, he's still typing. I'm looking at his his <laughs> message right now, and it says he's typing. So. You know, he he talks about Stephen Wilson employs the tricks of the trade so frequently that it, I doubt their meaning. It used to be that a distorted and modulated Rhodes piano paid tribute to Miles Davis, Bitches Brew, and the likes of Chick Corea and Herbie Hancock. I'm not convinced Stephen Wilson is communicating that history. I don't know that he's trying to. I think he's just, you know, loving those sounds. But, but I, you know, he also talks about the bass being, you know, Stephen Wilson needs to find his own uh personality in the bass well you know the, that bass tone is fucking rocking i hope and i don't say, know that i, I want I, a different bass tone than that i Come love on. that bass tone oh my goodness it sounds so delicious it really does i i agree it is delicious i was thinking that very thing so i was i was kind of surprised when i started seeing some of these uh some of these comments coming through i would have thought and, and i'm going to i'm going to poke tom here as well i would have thought that this was as obviously fantastic an album as Coil or the Soul Cages. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I think I think Ken's feedback is valid, right? I, you know, it's valid. You definitely hear the influences, and I can imagine putting this on for some of my friends, and I can imagine them being like, "Oh, this sounds just like whatever," right? Uh, so, you know, like with all progressive rock, you have to give it a chance. And sometimes you got to let go of your, uh, your, uh, judgments and, um, and that sort of thing. So, so let's go, let, let's put a pin in the, the influences for a second. Cause I, there is one more thing that I want to sort of say about this album, maybe as a whole, before we get into the specifics here. And that is, I think love it or hate it, and whether or not you appreciate some of the more obvious nods to, um, you know, progressive influences, I think this album is as progressive an album as I've heard in a long time. Uh, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's clearly as progressive as, you know, let's just, you know, get something of the close to the same vintage. So let's say yes is fly from here. Let's say Marillion's fear. You know, I, I think mm. it's in, it, it's as progressive as those. I think it's spectacular, which is part of the reason why we're talking about it here. I, I would agree with you. And after my recent uh, scroll through the 2013 year of music, I would say most certainly, uh, I, although I'm not quite familiar with the Dream Theater album that was released that year or the Megadeth album that was released that year, but this certainly to me seems that it was well worth the uh, Progressive Rock Award that it won Album of the Year in 2013, for sure. Undoubtedly. So you had mentioned um, the, the game that I had brought up in the last episode, and we don't necessarily have to play the game the whole time, uh, for the whole album, but, but okay. I think I think certainly for for Luminol, it's spot the the prog influence is is the game I wanted to play. <laughs> because I do think he lifts he lifts an entire section of uh, Heart of the Sunrise out uh, um, in in that one spot. 
Yes. I'm could, I could be wrong. I think he just orchestrates it differently. <laughs> well, and and I mean, as I listen to to Luminol, you know, it, it's it's crazy. I literally have four different four different what I think are obvious prog influences by a minute into the song. Hmm. How many? Four. Just in the Lay first minute. Lay them on me. <laughs> Lay them on me. All right. So right out of the gate, we have Yes of the drama variety. Okay. With the syncopated drums and bass. Boom. Yep. Very obvious. Then when it, it breaks into the, the the bass riff, you it has a King Crimson vibe. And King Crimson of the Adrian Ballou, Tony Levin era of discipline specifically is, nice. is what came to mind. Yep, and then you get sort of the, um, the the jazzy keyboards come in, which makes you immediately think of Steely Dan, and then you get the flute coming in. And I'd made a joke about you know flutes are are ultra prog, but they in, in this particular instance and in, in this album in in general they go more for the Jethro Tull style of flute as opposed to the Genesis style of flute. And and so it's I'm glad that you said that because I was getting Jethro Tull from the flute part and uh -huh. I just was the whole time I'm thinking, you know, it doesn't really seem like a very uh I don't know, deep application of progressive rock knowledge to just think of Jethro Tull once the flute enters the picture. But but I guess in this case it it's, it is it's fair. So okay. so so that's four just in the first minute of the song. Yeah. And I've got a bunch more. Wow. Okay, I'm I'm with you on all of those. I'm okay. with you on all of those. And, and I'd like to point out, you know, again, we sort of talked about Luminol. So Luminol literally kicks ass instrumentally for like four minutes and 45 seconds before they get to what I would call the, the quote-unquote regular part of the song, which right, is, right. is just awesome. Mm. So do we want to move on with, with my Spot the Prog influence? Yes, I'm curious how you're handling if you're if you're handling the 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 um the vocal break uh, early on in the in the opening instrumental part. I I, I wasn't. So to me, that part of that reminds me of fact. Just the fact that they have a vocal break is sort of like close to the, the edge. -ish. Yeah, absolutely. But but the way that the 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 rhythm of the song and the way they finish it and go right back into it, it reminds me of Tempest Fugit. Okay. So yeah, there, there's yeah. there's a lot of drama. Yes, in this. Mm -hmm. So I pick it up again um, at about four nineteen. They go into a section that that is either yes drama or it's got actually a little bit of Kansas in there. And then at four fifty, we move into we have our first Pink Floyd influence showing up. And then at 7.50, we have another yes section. Now, my notes originally said close to the edge, but the more I think about it, the more I think it's actually south side of the sky-ish. Yes, I would agree. I would say south side of the sky is for sure. Yeah. This is after the heart of the sunrise part. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so so those that's, that's pretty much where I finished up with regards yeah. to that. And so I'm cheating here because I'm following along with you and kind of listening. I think this South Side of the Sky part is a, is a perfect example of what we're talking about, right? It's completely derivative, right? Mm -hmm. the, all of the pieces, you can, you can sit there and, and think back. But the harmony of the song, right? The, 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 the chord structure, the progression is, to me, classic Stephen Wilson, if there is such a thing, right? Right. 
it is it is his own his own bit so it's like he is pulling all these influences while still delivering steve you know his own deal yep. yep and throughout this album guthrie just shreds it oh my goodness i, I love the way this guy solos it just it's it's wonderful it's so exciting i mean the the guy is a fucking beast i mean there's just and he, uh, I mean, the, the way he controls this melody and the way he bends strings is in itself just remarkable. But the thing that I always loved about watching a Guthrie Govan videos, because he's, he's got YouTube videos all over the place. And when I first discovered him, the thing that I loved watching um, about him is he would he would play these runs and like you know, I, he would play a run, and I would list, watch him and listen play, and, and as he would he would work through it, it would feel to me like it was going to end. You know, it would like naturally. This is where I would consider a musical run ending on the guitar, and yet he would just keep it going, and then he would he would go and go and keep going, and and it, it just and it was never like you never really feel like he's shredding from the standpoint of. You know the the stereotypical shredder is that's just a million notes and you don't really notice anything. He, even when he is playing fast and furious, it's so melodic and it's it's so in 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 sync with what's happening musically around him. It's it's just incredible. You know, and and it's funny. Like I said, my the the first time I sort of specifically came across him was when I was doing Asia's Silent Nation, which was the last one with John Payne, and. I remember liking what he did, but I don't know, I don't remember being completely blown away by it. But everything I've come across him since then, it just like scrambles my brain. The one thing that I find amusing about uh, both Stephen Wilson and Guthrie Govan, and I'm, I'm this is probably, and I'm going to probably embarrass myself by saying this, but, you know, they're, they're both so... So just appropriately English when they when they talk to you about things, right? You never really know if they're fucking with you, if they're being sarcastic, or if they're just super smart, you know. And it could be one, or it could be all. Yeah, and it, but it's wholly entertaining, and and I love listening to both of them, and and I just it it gets, makes me wish that you could just you know, be a fly on the wall, uh, you know, at some of their conversations or, you know, dinners in between, you know, recording sessions, just to listen to the two of them talk to each other. So one of the cool things about Luminol is that it was inspired by a busker, right? Mm -hmm. Inspi inspired by a guy sitting on the streets, you know, playing guitar near, near Stephen Wilson's home. And he saw him every day. And there, you know, there was a, there was a 148-page book, I think you said? Yes, that's what the um, said. Yeah, so um, there's a lot of really good information out there on the interwebs about um, this album because, I mean, I guess it's gotten taken from the inter, the, um, that, that um, booklet. But, you know, I will say this, on songmeanings.com, yep. when you look up these lyrics, uh, you get a little blurb uh, from Stephen Wilson himself which was really entertaining to um, to look at, but the thing that I <laughs> the thing that I loved about it is like his idea here is that you know he just saw this guy every day doing the same thing, and he just thought about what if it, what if this guy wasn't there? What if he just died? 
And then he realized, and he thought, well, if what if his routine was so routine that even after he died, he was still there? Because he basically said, like, this guy was terrible. Like, he wasn't even good. He was horrible. And he still played every day. And people just completely ignored him. And, you know, he was just thinking to himself, you know, the guy doesn't make a difference just being there. No one pays attention to him. That, you know, death doesn't make a difference either. Right. And um and maybe it wouldn't even maybe it wouldn't even break the routine if he died, his his ghost would still be there. And, you know, you wonder, you know, he could still even be a ghost. Um and and then so that blew it what blows my mind about that idea, right, is that you know, could there be ghosts among us, right? You know, could someone be a ghost in their life as well as being a ghost when they die? And the name of the song is Luminal. And of course, I, you know, did not exactly know this, but you probably know this, that Luminal is the, is that chemical thing that they use at crime scene to detect blood. You can't see it, but you can, you can um, use Luminal to uh, make it visible. And I just thought that that was quite, quite, I would, when I, you know, when I read that, I was like, oh, that's perfect. Perfect name for the song. That gets us into Drive Home. Mm. So after this Prague tour de force that is Luminol, and we go into Drive Home, my note here, my first note here, says Drive Home is really, it's a Blackfield song in its best form. Huh. You could interpret it sort of in the way that we're, we're thinking about this album as, as Stephen paying homage to his own progressive past if you will very nice and uh but but doing it in again in in you know a more mature and perhaps sophisticated way i gotta give steven massive props for believably and reasonably using the word jetsam in a song (laughs) Yes, for sure. You don't come across Jetsam very much. In fact, the only place I've ever seen it, there is a there's a chapter title in the Two Towers called yes. Flotsam and Jetsam. That's yes, of course. And other than that, I don't know that I've ever come across the word Jetsam in any work. Also, so, also a hallmark, also a hallmark of progressive rock. That's by using the same types of language that. Tolkien would use that. That is true. Okay, so here is where I've got my uh, my guitar solo is killer note. So yeah, and and so this is you know this is where where Guthrie just really brings it and shreds my face off. Yeah, you know the thing that the thing that is like ah, you know, there's just certain guitar players that when they play, we talked about this when they play something, you know, it's them. It doesn't matter what they freaking play, right? And like. To me, Guthrie is that way. And and even when he is just playing the melody throughout this song, it's amazing. And I do, I would say that the melody also reminds me a heck of a lot of that song, uh, Castle in a Cloud from Les Miserables. Okay. The uh, the, the melody, right? Interesting. It's a little hauntingly familiar to that. Um, dude, like the dude just is all over this album and he just makes it shine in so many different ways. And for me... It's not just the big ripping solo at the at the end, which is pretty pretty awesome. And I want to say that um, 
there i don't know that anyone ever would say that there's an ebo it kind of feels like there it's eboish because he's going in and out of different octaves at once the story in this is just like just wildly crazy and weird and um, yeah th- this this song is creepy yeah i mean if you look at the lyrics and mm. and read about what he's he's trying it's it's creepy yeah and then after you do all that if you watch the video have you watched the animated video no i haven't oh my gosh that's you know really takes it to the next level for sure <laughs> it's it's really fantastic the uh, the uh you know we talked about in the special concert series episode about the artistry that he has and the films that go along with this and um you know this is the beginning of it i guess uh or at least as far as i can tell um drive home is just this powerful video with just these stark images that that um that bring all of that out about um you know him not knowing what happened to his partner and then her returning to tell you know share with him what happened and uh there there's a, there's a there's a bit of not a bit i think there's a lot of it in here uh and it's one of the things that I love about music and lyrics and, and vagueness is that there's there's an underpinning of loneliness to a lot of these tracks. Like Drive Home uh, is about, you know, th- this guy who's lost his, his girlfriend or his wife. Um, similar concept in the pin drop, except he murdered her. <laughs> and, um, yeah, you know uh also in the watchmaker right you know and then of course in the in the the title track of the of the album the raven that refused to sing like there's this and you can even make that argument with holy drinker as well so there's this underpinning of loneliness that doesn't necessarily have to to you don't necessarily have to connect with it on the same level of topic right that he's that he's you know you don't have to connect with the story you, you just feel it Right. And, and, and I think that's the beauty of it. Like that's what drew me to this album is I was connected to it in so many ways without even knowing what the songs were about to begin with. And then as I dug deep and really found out what they were, I was like, just made it that much more incredible to me. So I, I want to bring this up here. I don't know if this is really the right time, but, but as I was really digging into this album and 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 thinking about the the, you know each of the stories and some of the macabre nature of these stories i was reminded of like edgar Allan poe it's it's funny you should say that because as you were talking edgar Allan poe popped into my head that's amazing yeah yeah so so uh i was just like particularly when we i was reading about what the watchmaker was really about and um you know like i had some ideas but you know the song doesn't really yeah doesn't really demonstrate you know the hiding under the floorboards part of the story and um then it reminded me i was like that's like the black cat or something like that where you know we where buries the body in the wall or something crazy like that and you know and then of course you know i hear i hear i think of myself edgar Allan poe and then i'm thinking the raven that was his big thing and this was the what he chose to you you know so it just it just made me really start to so i actually looked up edgar Allan poe and i started reading up on him and I, I'm definitely going to go grab some of his uh, his poetry and catch up on uh, uh, my Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, I wanted to get there today, but I couldn't get there before the library closed. So good stuff. So yeah. a little bit of uh, urban myth around Edgar mm-hmm. Allan Poe. Yeah, 
the uh, the Deer Park Bar in Newark, Delaware. Yes. Um, famous for its nachos. Okay. If you've ever been there, there's actually a stuffed raven inside the Deer Park. I, at least I've the, performed. I've performed there. At least, yes. at least there was back in the day. And so the urban myth has it that the Deer Park was the last place that Poe drank before he died. Wow. So. There you go. Well, that's impressive because you know, some say that he drank himself to death. So, yeah, and that's that's actually where I celebrated my twenty first birthday back in the day. So, wow, yeah, I played a I played a gig there. Actually, I would say I I think I played a gig there uh, in twenty thirteen. Ironically, so it all there comes you around. Go. That <laughs> seems absolutely perfect. Yeah. So drive home. I love. Uh, I feel like there's the. Uh, you know, to me, it feels a little Pink Floydish, which I which I'm okay with completely. Not as much as say the Pin Drop, oh, but um, yeah. but I love it, love it, love it. And I, I will say that, you know, on all my time listening to this record, uh, this was probably the sleeper for me. I think this go around more than ever. Drive home really connected with me. Really, so, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because it, it always connected with me because of the Blackfield connection. But the Holy Drinker, it's pertinent to to quote Ken here because he started out discussing this tonight with this statement. Three minutes and 30 seconds into Holy Drinker, I'm starting to wonder if this is a dare. <laughs> and then he goes on to say that this sonic palette is the equivalent of organ meats. I will take another mm. bite only for shock value. I think it's funny because in all of my preparation for this episode, listening to this album as many times as I have over the last, you know, month, month and a half, whatever it's it's been, today was the first time I listened to this album all the way through in headphones. Oh wow. And and I I point that out because the 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 opening of the holy drinker as creepy and as dissonant as it sounds without headphones <laughs> with headphones when you're paying attention and not doing anything else it is positively disorienting mm. it is it's deliciously so but i mean it i've I don't know that I've ever listened to something that I've liked listening to that literally made me physically uncomfortable before. Wow. So I, I found that to be somewhat shocking because when, as I've gone through this and listened to it, you know, the Holy Drinker is one of those. It, and I think Ken actually captured it right. It It's, and I called it provocative in the text stream today. This song does almost dare you. Are you willing to keep up with me where I'm going here? Mm. It's 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 really really interesting the way that happens. It, it's another it's another melange of of prog influences as well. Um, but in this particular case, he kind of ramps things up a little bit with this sort of disquieting factor. So. Mm. You know, when it starts out, you get almost, my note says almost a Primus feel, but I think that's it's probably more of a King Crimson feel or yeah. some relation between the two of them. Um, and it, it's heavy on the bass and it has, quote unquote, 
um, according to my notes here, noisy, what I would call lead instruments. So the yeah. guitars and the woodwinds and everything else, things that would normally carry a melody are are very just sort of noisy and squawky at you here. And and it, it adds to that level of discomfort that you're feeling because nothing is behaving necessarily in the way that you think it should. And, and it comes off feeling to me extraordinarily sinister. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yes. Because for me, so that distorted roads with the zipping around in your headphones, yep. like that reminds me, believe it or not, that very, very opening part reminds me a little bit of, um, of Journey's Dream After Dream. Not sure if you remember that, that album or not. It's a pretty obscure Journey album. Was that the instrumental um, album that Dan had? Yeah, no dude. One can find, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you I can only find it on cassette. And I think there's a YouTube, I think there's a YouTube of it. Um and uh that's that that is spectacular and um and it kind of reminds me of this. But you know, your sinister comment is right on cuz you get all the the keyboards and the drums and the and the the squawkiness going on and then all of a sudden everybody comes in with that and right back to it and and that shit scares me when i listen to it like (laughs) yeah right that that melody is just it's frightening it's it's very cool yeah it is um yeah so that that's interesting and then when you get into the um it's and i can't read my writing now but there's there's somewhere around the uh the first verse it gets into a little kansasy part and then we go back into the the Iron Maiden bit, and and there's, <laughs> and I, I say that with with great great love in my heart. Um, I'm I'm glad to hear you know this Iron Maiden sort of tone, but I've got some yeah yeah. So I I made a note here. Um, there there's like a, a two or three second bit at at three minutes and forty six seconds that. I don't know what it is. It just, it, it you know, kind of makes me feel really good about life. Yeah. And, and it's it's this. I don't know if we're going to be able to hear it here. Um, but I'm curious if, if you react to this at all. Um, you'll hear it. It's, it's just after the scary thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah. I love. I, I'm just. I, I. And it's one of those things. I, I didn't really pick up on it until today, and I'm like, wait a second, what's that? I had to go back and listen to it like three times. I'm like, that is freaking cool. Maybe I'm just being stupid, but I, I love it. No, the thing I love about parts like that is like, like that's the part, right? It's and it's only like two seconds long. But the whole build up to that is what makes it so incredible. Yeah. Like all, it, so yeah. And, and if you're not paying attention, cool. it's gone. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and here's the funny thing. So at 4:55 in this song, you 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 finally get a a Marillion part. Mm. Um, which is which is kind of cool. So if you're good, yeah. It's totally, you know, mid-80s Mark Kelly. Right? 
And, and, and the interesting thing about that is after that sort of little keyboard riff, then they, the, the saxophone comes in yeah. and, and it's, it, you know, and, and they're, they're close enough. Again, if you're not really paying close attention, you, you may not pick up on it, but it, it's clearly, you know, different instruments and it's, it's, I don't know, just, I love the way they, they constructed this song and I, I like how they sort of, they use these, or I keep saying they because again I think of this as a band record, not necessarily a Stephen Wilson record, but but to use these different textures to sort of you know play off each other a little bit, and and, and they they again it, it's all of these sort of dare moments in this song. It's like keep up with me. Hey, did you catch that? Did you see what I just did there? And it's yeah. it's just it's cool. And I love I love this uh, this theme that we've stumbled upon here of the. Um, hey, you know, I dare you to keep up with me and I dare you to do this because the whole point of this song is about is about this pious guy <laughs> who's got major problems and he's an alcoholic and he's at a bar and he picks a drinking fight with the devil. And <laughs> How's that going to work out? <laughs> I know, right? The devil dares him into a drinking contest of all things. And um, and and so there, it's it's funny just to hear that coming from you and, and Ken also in his text messages that that you know that's kind of the feel that you get listening to the music and that's what the story is and and personally when i read the lyrics and it 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 doesn't really if i know that that's what the song is about i can make that connection but if i just read the lyrics i don't really get get that that story um and you know stephen wilson talked about it and said that you know you can't beat the devil at a drinking competition, which I believe, uh, I don't know there's too many people I could beat at a drinking competition, but he says you can't beat the devil at anything. You know, clearly he's never uh, been introduced to the Charlie's Daniels band. Clearly. Because um, you can definitely beat him apparently at the fiddle. Um, but And then you can call him a son of a bitch after you're done. That's it. <laughs> and, and, and you can endear him back. That's right. Um, but you know, I will, I will say this, all of that greatness being said, Joe, this is probably like, if I had to drop a track off this record, it would probably be the Holy Drinker. And I don't know that I find that surprising. Um, you bring up a really interesting point though, uh, as we talk about this, uh, and, and I hearken back to when we discussed going for the one and when we discussed, a turn of the century and John Anderson's description of how he wanted not just to tell the story in words and in lyrics and in song and like a, a singing, but he wanted the music to convey the story as well. And I think that this whole entire album is a fantastic example of, of that. The music is conveying the story. And when you think about what, he's conveying here you know this really preachy self-righteous guy who's got a lot of demons himself and picks a fight with the devil and you know that's not a very comfortable thing to really like you want to jump inside that person's skin it's not going to be very comfortable right and the music isn't comfortable um which is probably why it's my least favorite on on the track but it's really impressive nonetheless on its own because of that very thing and it also makes me wonder once again maybe i need to go back and listen to sound chaser because maybe they're telling a story in music and and that's why that's why it sounds the way it does and maybe it does absolutely 
Although with John's lyrics, you would never know. You would never know. You would never know. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's it's funny, and I'm glad you had brought that up because again, you know, I I got all excited because I you know I've got the book, and I'm like, and you know, you spend more time with these lyrics, and you're like, you know what? I need to understand what these songs are about. So you pull out the, yeah. the lyric book, and you look at it, and you go, I don't get it. But but, <laughs> but but clearly, this the song is pointing you in the right direction. It just the lyrics are not explicit enough to to fill in all of the gaps. You know, you you yeah. you know sort of where you are, but you don't know exactly where you are, and that's where you need some of this extra context. But it, it really is impressive the fact that they were able to do that sort of across the board on this record. It's it's mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cool. The the pin drop. If we want to talk about you know classic prog influence, this mm. the the first part of this song is obviously to me it's it's very influenced by animals and you know with, with oh, yeah. sort of des descending vocal line and everything else and I've made the comment personally that. Based on my observation of, of these solo albums, Stephen Wilson has a decent amount of Roger Waters in him. Right. And, and, right. I, and I, think, I think this song and The Watchmaker illustrate that in spades. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there are a couple of moments on To the Bone that is almost as obvious, but, but this, is, this is the probably... I, and actually, I'm not even going to say it's the most obvious because I think... Once we get to the next track, it's it's more so. Mm. But but there are clearly, I think, animals influences in this song. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, and this would be you know part one of the kill my wife suite. Um, <laughs> in uh, in this in this record, the, the animals uh, reference, if you will, is unmistakable, right? Oh it's, yeah, it's so right there. Even with the the lyrics coming in, I mean, you, he could have had David Gilmour guest vocalize on this, and it would have been just <laughs> perfect. Um, but I love the fact that this story is told from from the from the uh, the point of view of the dead wife in in the river, right? Right. Kills her, throws her in the river, and. Um, and you know the idea is that you know I think both, I think both this this and the watchmaker are kind of like that that concept of, uh, you know sometimes we end up with people just because uh, it's comfortable and there's nothing better whatever right let's not get into it but sometimes we just end up in a relationship because where we've ended up there and. There, you it becomes resentful over time, and then it's just this. Anything can set anybody off, and in this case, the the pin drops, and you know he kills her. But I love how she tells the 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 point of view of I'm tired of struggling, and the rain is beating down on me. I tried to be the way that he wanted me to be. I did not hear the pin drop down. I did not hear my heart. I think that's just great. It's it's it, it to me. It just it makes it all the more powerful um, because I feel like most of these songs are are told from the you know the protagonist is actually the 
person doing the killing, I right. guess. Yes. <laughs> or doing the whatever's being done, the person that, that you know. Um, and so I really like the fact that it's sort of, you know, he twists it around here and it's sort of told by the, from the victim. And, and yeah, and, and, you know, you do have, I think there's some, some good dynamics in this song and we are treated to yet another tasty Guthrie Govan solo as part of this. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was this song, uh, this just this past weekend, my good friend Mike Fuda came over to bring me some soup that he had made. And um, while we were scooping the soup out into the containers, uh, the solo was was going on and like I was playing in the background. And, you know, he was not, he was oblivious to the fact that I even had music on. And all of a sudden he's like, ooh, he's like, that solo is tasty. <laughs> He was right. And I was, and I was like, that's Guthrie Govan. And he's like, really? Uh, I was like, yeah. <laughs> that's an awesome story. I love it. The Watchmaker then. Mm. Yeah. So. So I, I confess on my, on my trip to my mother's that first, that first time. Uh, I, I, I do believe I listened to Luminal. And then the whole rest of the album. And then I probably listened to the watchmaker and the Raven that refused to sing about seven times in a row. Oh, I believe it. Uh, before I went anywhere else. Yeah. This, this song really, really, oh, it's fantastic. So you start out with the, uh, the Pink Floyd, Hey, you solo, you go through, a, <laughs> a, you, you go through a Kansas bit for a while um, before you have shine on you, crazy diamond part 10, and then you get the, uh, the the Beach Boy vocal bit near the end. <laughs> wow! Well, that just wraps it all up there. There you go. <laughs> yeah the, um, the 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 flute and guitar solo section literally it, uh, it 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 speaks so directly to Shine on You Crazy Diamond. It's not it's I, it's almost not even funny. I mean, it, you know, we talked about the animal's influence on the pin drop, but I think the, the Shine on Your Crazy Diamond influence here is, it's, you know, it's, it's borderline actionable. Oh, and, and there's another thing, though. So there's a guitar piano bit at about three that, to me, mm. screams script for a jester's tear. Wow. Which was very, very cool. Literally, as I'm listening to that musical section, I'm hearing Fish singing, I'm losing on the swings, I'm losing on the roundabouts. Wow. Yeah, you know what? I never thought about that. I love, like, to me, that's almost where the song starts, right? You have, you have like, like three minutes of just the song happening, right? right. And him singing along. And it's in this, this very dark... And, and, you know, very typically minor area. And then all of a sudden it just kind of resolves into this beautiful piano and guitar thing with the, the, the guitar solo. To me, that's really where it's like there's like a huge resolution after like three minutes of the song. And it just opens the door to everything that, that, uh, that comes, comes back. And the guitars really sound spectacular there too yeah they do and and we would be remiss if we didn't go back to the first part of the song though and speak about these additional vocals by the gentleman whose name i cannot 
pronounced properly. I, I think that the harmonies that he's singing with Stephen, and, and and again, he shows up. Where yeah. is it? It's he's he's here and um, what's the other song? And Luminol. I you know, but it was here that I first picked it up because the, the harmonies are so much more obvious, and mm -hmm. I I think it really does add a, a fantastic amount of depth to these lyrics. Um, and then after I I prepared my notes, I'm like, oh yeah, he's on Luminol too, and I kind of went back and but it's it's a little less obvious there, I think. Um, but I, I really did. I enjoyed that that pairing of those two voices um, in in this part of the song. So, I, like I said, I'd be remiss if we didn't point out that portion. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and I do, I do like the you know the the flute solo into the guitar solo. I think that's a yeah. that's a, a spectacular sort of of flow that that goes through there. You know, six, seven minutes into this song is when the piano part starts. Mm -hmm. I think to me, it feels quite Marillion-ish. Um, uh, but it's, it's, um, you know, you were just meant to be temporary right until I could find oh, gold or something like that. God, that, that, those lines are killer. <clears throat> oh, geez. They, they really are. And it's, it's, um. Oh, I mean, like, so this, there's so much about this song. <laughs> <laughs> so, so have you ever known anyone? Have you ever, have you ever known like a watchmaker, someone who is fascinated by the, not just time, but the, the, the construction of time pieces. Have you ever known anybody like no, that? No, I have not. So when I lived in Newtown, Bucks County, and I bet you that it's still there. There was a a clock store mm -hmm. in Buck. Now I've only been in like I may have only been in two clock stores my entire life. It was you walked into the store, and there you were just surrounded by cuckoo clocks, grandfather clocks, and I'm and not I, when I mean surrounded, it's like you ever walk into like you know an old person's home and there's just so many fucking knickknacks everywhere. You can't even move with, you can't even put a cup of coffee down anywhere because there's knickknacks everywhere. It's like that except with clocks. Okay. And it, you get, you know, when you're, when you're in there at noon, like it, it, it you, you feel like you're inside of dark side of the moon when time <laughs> starts. Right. So that's sort of the, the way that this, this is the way I remember the place at least. So the reason I met this guy and the reason I ended up in there is at the time I had a grandfather clock. And when I had moved there, could never get the grandfather clock to work anymore. Like, um, and I, you know, and I was a hack. Like I, you know, I got this from my in-laws and I stuck it in the side of the wall and I flipped the pendulum. And then the next day I came down and it was done, stopped. And it just, this continued for, for a long time. So this dude comes over to the house and as soon as you started talking to him, you could just tell he was different. Not different in a bad way. Oh, yeah. Not necessarily different in a good way. But you could tell that he looked at the world differently than every other person you've ever met. And he was fascinated by the construction of timepieces and how they worked and what they did. And if you know anything about a grandfather clock, there's, there's no – like there's no machine running it, right? right? It is a mechanical device that just once it starts, it keeps going. Mm -hmm. It it uses its own energy to continue to fuel itself. 
but it has to be set perfectly in, in order for it to work. Because even if it's close to perfect, it will somehow stop over time, right? And when you think about the construct of time and generally how we regard time as something that's running all the time and we don't have enough of it and we're always trying to squeeze in there. And this guy's job is to make things that keep time. And his attitude was like, this is what you have to do. And he was basically telling me all the things that I was going to need to do in order to get this clock to work and how it was basically going to take me a month and a half to get it done because <laughs> I would have to, I would have to set it. I would have to make it go. And if it, if it stopped, that meant it would mean that the clock wasn't level and the gears were slowing down and stopping. And, and then the length of the pendulum depended on the, how, how fast it moved. And I had to figure out like the, the perfect length of the pendulum for the place that it was for its own gravitational pull on the earth or whatever in order for the pendulum to swing to turn the gears of the clock in the same time of the rotation of the earth, right? Mm -hmm. That's the way this guy thought about things. So, so when I read the lyrics of, of this song, right? And I think things like, you know, some, something simple like the watchmaker works all day and long into the night, right? Um, Time has left its curses upon this place, like thing, things like that. His piece, he pieces things together despite his failing sight. And each hour becomes another empty space to fill, wasting with the care and virtues of his skill. Wasting with the care and virtues of his skill. I love is, that line. Oh, my gosh. And, and so I, I'm thinking about what the, the perfect – if you were going to write a character who waits 50 years to kill his wife, <laughs> a watchmaker is the perfect character to, to make that happen. He's the so guy. That, uh, yeah. So um, that was a way long way to get there. <laughs> but That was awesome. Are you kidding me? I love it. But like you were just meant to be temporary while I waited for gold. We filled up the years and I found that I liked having someone to hold. Like that just is incredible. And it's incredible that someone with that sort of mindset, like it could take them 50 years to realize, whoops, yeah, this, this wasn't what I wanted to do. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it really speaks to a, I, there, there's just something about the way this album is put together with the stories that it tells. I think the, you know, the, the lyrics are, are fantastically ambiguous Mm. With with regards to like again, the lyrics and the music point you in the right direction. But if you want to go deeper and and find out what these stories are, you can, and it sort of enhances your experience. But it's not necessary. I just there's there's so right. much about the way this album is put together that that just speaks to me. So that that's great. I love it. Yeah, and then we wind up with. Uh, the Raven that refused to sing, which, you know, as you pointed out at the top of this episode was, was your gateway into this album and, and mm -hmm. seeing Steven perform that live, you know, that's, uh, yeah. Now the, the opening piano of this, it, it you know, and again, it, it, it sets this sort of, of macabre mood, right? 
And I was trying to figure out what this reminded me of. And, and you know, and, and I say that I, I don't want to give the impression that, again, I think this entire album is just entirely derivative and there's nothing original mm -hmm. here or anything else. It's just these, this is sort of the context that I have with this. It, 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 for whatever reason, this, there are certain albums that just, they, they give me cues that bring up other things and, and not that they're copying. It just points my brain in that direction. I originally thought maybe it was something off of George Michael's older, but what I finally figured out was that there is an album that is phenomenal from the the and it's it's mm. called mind bomb and it came out somewhere probably in the the late 80s early 90s um i got it when i was in college and mind bomb is as dark an album as you can imagine and mm. um but it and the the way that he he um he uses instrumentation in that is very sparse and it it has a lot of sort of room to to let you sort of wander around and, and think about things. And, and that that's ultimately what I sort of landed on with this. Hmm. Um, but I can only imagine what this is like live. It's because in a lot of ways, um, I think this song is, is a very gentle landing for this album, given the rest of, of, you know, the, the way the other songs are, are constructed and not that they're, they're heavy, but they have these moments that you know they'll they'll kind of pick up the pace or whatever, and 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 they'll do some interesting things, um, and and this is is in a lot of ways deceptively gentle, but again, it's it's not any better a song in terms of content or subject matter than any of the others, right? Yeah, uh, I'm guessing you've never seen the video for this either. I have not seen the video for this one either. Well. Well, you know, not so gentle after, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's not it's the 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 video is, is sufficiently dark mm -hmm. for the subject matter, and um, it is it's uh, it's I don't know how to describe it other than say it's just it's painfully beautiful. Really, um, okay, that's the that's way great. it works. Um, yeah, oh, um. Like again, around the the idea here that you know the lyrics are vague enough that you can you can listen to these songs and you can certainly make them your own without really knowing that there's a there's actually a real story behind. Um, and 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 again, this is this song deals with attachment. And then, and then not being able to recover separation from that attachment, and um, and I think it's a very real emotion that a lot of people feel in different in in, in it, they they feel it in different ways. But the idea that um, you know, he's lost his sister when when they were young, and and he hasn't been able to he really hasn't been able to live his life to his fullest because, you know, he's never been able to get over his sister dying. And I, I, I just, 
you know, you can, it, it's just funny. And, and it, it, it strikes me a little bit more now because, and I'm not sure if you're experiencing this because, um, you know, you have, you have a son, you have two sons in high school. One is in college now. Um, my son is getting ready to graduate high school this year. They already could care less about me and what, what I'm doing with my life. And they're just kind of, and there's, there's this feeling. I was just texting a friend about this. There's just this feeling of like detachment that's happening with, with me and my kids. And it's really hard to get over. It's hard to, it's, you're like, shit, I can't believe, like, I knew this was going to happen, but it literally just happened now. So that's just like one example of the shit that we have to deal with. Um, and I just think that, that this song captures that in such a way that, um, it, it's almost our our inability to let go of things mm -hmm. and to move on, and and here's this guy who's you know spent his whole life in that conundrum, and um, it's it's hauntingly beautiful to me. Yeah, it is, and and I understand exactly what you're talking about. It's you know just to to go down that path. So my oldest son, you know, just it's his first year in college, so he went away. But at the exact same time, my second son, you know, sort of started to get his, you know, his, his expanded social life going. And, yeah. and so what, what <laughs> happened was, you know, when I get my kids on Tuesday nights, well, now Aiden has something that he does on Tuesday nights. Mm -hmm. So literally I lost both of them at once. Wow. And yeah. You know, I, I was, I was sort of going through the same sort of thing. I was, I was struggling with, and in some ways I was amused at myself at how difficult a time I had with, with, with my oldest leaving for college and then to lose, you know, essentially lose both of them at once. It was like, mm -hmm. whoa, wait a second. And, and yeah, so it takes a little while to, to sort of process that. Yeah. Kind of makes There's you, a... kind of makes you feel bad for when you were a teenager and you were a dick to your parents, doesn't it? Oh, I tell you, yeah, it's, it really, it really is kind of funny. Um, so there's a cool thing about, uh, what's, uh, I just, I found this, uh, when I was reading about this song and Stephen Wilson mentioned that he was pretty worried about this. He, he mentions a couple of things about Guthrie Govan. One of the things he talks about in one, one of these discussions was he mentioned, you know, Guthrie, he, he kind of laid back because he said, I'd, he's like, you know, when you have someone like Guthrie in the band, you, you just sort of think to yourself, I guess I don't really need to be playing any more guitar solos. <laughs> and, um, you know, but he mentioned that he was really worried about with the band overall in this song that that there really is not, there's not a lot of flamboyance going on in this, in this uh, song. And he really just wanted Guthrie to play this like four note melody. Mm -hmm. And he was just kind of worried that, that, uh, you know, he was kind of like, I hope he's going to be okay with this. And, and, um, you know, the story obviously has a happy ending because Guthrie was like, well, you know, those are the right three notes. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going to enjoy playing them. And, 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 you know, he, again, I, is, uh, she's, I feel like I'm just a blithering idiot when it comes to Guthrie Govan, but when he plays four notes, you know, he plays them like I could probably practice for the next three weeks and not be able to play them as clear and as beautifully as he does. And, 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 and let me just like, I just said three weeks, probably three years, really. 
the guy is just an uber talent. And yet, you know, if you really listen to the drums on this, when the drums come in towards the end, I mean, Marco Miniman is fucking kicking it out. Like he is, it's a, it's just a, it's just a terrific track. It's, it's mixed so well. It tells such a great story. And um, I highly recommend Joe watching that video. I'll definitely um, have to go look at them. Yeah, both of them are just just take these these two pieces to the next level. Well, and 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 that's you know it's it's interesting. I'm sitting here enjoying you know this record tremendously, and then you know you sort of opened my eyes to ways that I can even enhance my enjoyment, which is like yeah, awesome. <laughs> I can't wait. This is going to be spectacular. And I see you just saw that uh, that Mucho has chimed in. Yes. Um, so it, it's it's fascinating. It, I'll read this if if I may. Yeah. Breaking news. So so Tom Corcoran joins into the the text and he says, "I wish you guys disagreed more often. This is brilliant, Ken. Although I have to put myself in the Raven fam fan party. I love what you're saying here. There you go. It is true. I do think Ken also seems to be distracted with some of the other bits like he doesn't like Stephen Wilson's interviews I guess the part of his English charm that I find so nice and and uh uh endearing Ken just does not like so much so this is interesting so I'm I'm just scrolling through the the text stream here yeah and, and I saw this this one note from Ken so it, it actually there's two of them that I think go together we truly buy into Prague when we follow the band member personalities Stephen Wilson seems to shoehorn his personality into each team member. And lyrically, I try in brief spurts. Ultimately, I stop following the lyrics. With a name like the Raven that refused to sing, I just feel so empty. Which, isn't that kind of the point? Right. It's so <laughs> funny. It's so funny that you just said that. Because when I, as, as literally, I'm reading it along with you while you're reading it, and I, and uh, he's saying that, and I'm like, uh, duh, right? <laughs> that's that, we, that, we, that's what we just spent ten minutes talking about, <laughs> and, and and that's exactly why this album I think works so well because it, it so it does do that. So I think Ken actually, the best part about it is Ken totally gets it. Yeah, he and he doesn't like it, and, and that's cool. He doesn't like it is cool. It is cool. He loves To the Bone. Maybe that's the problem. He kind of entered in on To the Bone and kind of, it's almost like, well, I guess I can't say that. I was going to say it's almost like coming into Peter Gabriel, you know, at So, and then like, you know, going back and listening to probably something like, you know, I don't know, one of the early Fox Genesis Trot. albums. <laughs> Foxtrot, exactly. Yeah. Although the Foxtrot's pretty awesome. I like that album. Foxtrot so. is pretty awesome. Yeah, so... You know, and it's a shame that Ken wasn't able to sort of join in and counterbalance our gush fest here for the yeah. Raven that refused to sing. But, you know, I think, as we pointed out, we can at the same time sort of understand his points. And, you know, I think, you know, it's, it, it, I'm glad that he, he provided us, you know, sort of this, this perspective that, that gave us something to consider as, as we talked about this. So I, I don't know. I still think this album freaking rocks. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I agree. And, you know, it will be interesting. I'm sure there are many out there in the palaver world who might think we're high as a kite talking about it like this. Like they, they might they be like, are well. you kidding? It's, 
It's a bunch of so be interest, interesting to hear all of that. Um, I would love to get my hands on that 128 page booklet of uh, lyrics and something? ghost stories. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that would be fun. Um, um, we may have to look on eBay. Yeah, the deluxe four disc edition. Uh, maybe he'll re-release it or something like that. And I don't know. I know when we did our special concert episode, I I mentioned that I hoped and wished that Stephen Wilson put together a video and like a video movie mm-hmm. of of his to the bone bone tour because it was so good and, and so full of artistry. And and I think as you I think you are well aware that he is actively promoting the release of his uh, home invasion right. DVD and Blu-ray. From so the I pre-ordered. Yes, right. So I pre-ordered that. I'm awaiting it. Uh, it will be shipped to me, I believe, on the second when it's released. Amazon was kind enough to suggest that I order the um, Yes featuring ARW DVD as well or, nice. or, or Blu- Blu-ray. So I, I got that, and that was that was delivered today. I felt kind of bad. It was delivered at about six o'clock, just as we were beginning to trick or treating. And I was like, ah, you know, this poor guy's delivering my d- Blu-ray disc of Yes. I, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna watch it tonight. I felt bad. <laughs> he could have been home trick or treating. Oh well. That's oh okay. well. So I think that pretty much covers us here on uh, the Raven that refused to sing. So next up, we have to figure out how we're going to to cover Hand Cannot Erase and To the Bone if they're going to be separate or together. Um, but that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, depends how it depends how much you let me talk about hand cannot erase. Well, again, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll point out, you know, we we've done an hour and a half on this album. You pointed out that our episode on magnification is an hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think that we ha- ever have a problem filling time. <laughs> That's for, that's for sure. That's for sure. I bet you I can edit these down to one hour, though. Oh, I bet you could edit these <laughs> down to one hour. <laughs> I don't know that I will, but you certainly could. So, uh, that's so so good Paul, stuff. Thank you, uh, thank you so much for for sharing your thoughts on this album with me. This has been a fantastic way to close out uh, this Halloween evening here in in 2018. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that we did it. It's, this has been a long time coming, so I'm excited that we did it. Yeah, yeah, this is great. I look forward to uh, to uh, finishing out the rest of this. And then again, um, we're going to get into Genesis, finally. Eventually. Yeah. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. We've as always, enjoyed sharing the conversation with you. And as always, we solicit and invite your thoughts, your feedback, your comments, your questions, anything you might have. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at Progpala, P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A on all of those, or you can search for Progressive Palaver. We um, are also, you can email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is, as always, available for subscription and download on whatever Apple and Google are calling their podcast (laughs) services these days. (laughs) And we are hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. 
Justin Bieber released Believe Acoustic uh, in January of 2013. I can't believe um, you just uttered that name on Progressive Palaver. Dead stop as I scroll through the lame ass music that was available in 2013. 